Okay, so there are also some students saying stuff for part of the service. Um, well, I'm just saying what my father, it's great. <laughs> uh, he just reminds me, it's the Heavenly Father, he, he's not afraid to punish us if we do something wrong. <laughs> and it's really helpful. I'm not, and my father reminds me of that because he's not afraid to do that either. And it's, it's great. You know, you can't, you don't know what's wrong if you're not punished for it. And it's very helpful. It's a good thing. Sign. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. <laughs>Thank you, Isaac. <laughs> I have a few more. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, some things that my father and our, my Heavenly Father have in common is that they're loving. I know that my Heavenly Father and Father will always be there for me through thick and thin. <laughs> they're both extremely handy. Um, our Heavenly Father made our earth that we get to live on, and my dad is very good with the tools. Um, and one more thing is that um, they're both very trustworthy. I know that they'll always have my back no matter what, and that they'll always love me. Thank you. I would just say that there was a time where uh, my, fa my father wasn't in my life at first, but... Then my mother met, obviously we're not blood, I mean, they didn't just eat a lot of sushi and all of a sudden I came here, but, but there, was, there was a time where I didn't have that guiding figure, but thank God it was such a short time, because my father is my role model, and he is, he is everything that I would picture God to be. He is the one who has just worked down, himself down to the bone to uh, provide us a place to live, to put food on the table to make sure that me and my sister never went without. And he's just the man I love, and he is someone that I will always look up to. Um, although I don't think a lot of people know my father, uh, at least around here, he's been around a few times. Uh, one of the things I can say about my father... Um, that is something that I think I emulate or at least try to in my life, is my father's work ethic. And that has nothing to do with being boastful about how hard you work or being seen working or doing something like that. Um, my father has always just worked because it's the, the diligent and because you're supposed to and because that's how it, you know, things are supposed to be done. You don't ask for anything in return for what you're doing, um, but you just kind of go out and, and do it in the world. And that's something I got from my dad when he started... Um, Pretty much just helping anybody who kind of asks for something, whether it be doing something, uh, helping them build something on their house or going over to do something like that or making a sign or something like that for them. And I think about that as the Father, um, as our godly Father often does, is he is very diligent in being there for us and, fo and following after us. And whenever we ask, he's there to give it and help provide for us. And I just think about that when it comes to hard work with my Father. And Jeremy just showed up. <laughs>
Father's Day throws everything off time-wise. Okay, so I'm Jeremy Brees, son of Michael Brees, and uh, I'm just going to jump into this. This week we were doing speeches in school, so this is for English. We were doing speeches. We had to do two contributions, and uh, we had to do a person and who influenced that person. And one thing I noticed, that the main influence for these people were fathers. Now, that wasn't always a good thing. I noticed also that the main influence for the fathers was, I don't want to be like him. I want to be the complete opposite of him. I'm proud to say that my father is not that, and that I want to be just like him when I grow up. And that is just like we want to be like our heavenly father when we all now, not even when we want to grow up now, and when we're grown up. And uh, I think that when we're fathers, that we should be the father that our Heavenly Father is, that our children want to be. Well, happy Father's Day and good morning. Uh, let's see, we want to pass connection cards that away. And ushers will be picking them up. And then, do we have a junior high class? Yes. Junior hires, I guess you are leaving. Mr. Domke's back there for you. If you don't mind, how about if we pray together? Heavenly Father, you are um, a good, gracious, merciful, awesome God. Uh, we're very thankful to be able to approach you as Father and for all that that means to us in our lives. Lord, thank you for um, our fathers, for those who have been an authority over us, those who have been an influence in our lives, Lord, and we thank you for using them. Ask that you would bless us here who are um, fathers to others. Help us to be good role models and examples to uh, desire what's best for our children and that they would see you in us, which I know is a, a tremendous uh, expectation far beyond our ability, but that you would give us the grace to do that, Lord. And may you receive all the glory and honor. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in the, in the days of Jesus, the, the rabbis, they would always gather, you know, their, their disciples together. This was normal, common. And then there were, there were certain rabbis who became known for a certain perspective of Scripture, maybe a, a particular interpretation of the Torah, or some kind of way that they focused, you know, on, on the way they saw God or in the way that we're supposed to live life. And, and we have that today. There are certain preachers, whether TV or radio or uh, churches, who you just know this is, this is what they tend to talk about. Um, if you ever go to a Ravi Zacharias, you have a good idea what you're going to hear. You know, his focus tends to be apologetic. You're going to hear something about truth, about worldview, and how that applies to the Christian life. Um, 
I know a, a lot of work by uh, Paul Tripp, and, and if you go to one of his conferences, you know you're going to hear about the heart, and you're going to hear about God's grace. That's just, that's what he focuses on. He takes that and he applies it in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, if you ever go and you hear that world-renowned Tim Smith, you, you're probably going to possibly hear about the line. And if he's, and if he, he's actually, he's stuck in this church. He will never be able to preach outside of this church because it's the only place with a line. He'll be stuck. He won't know what to do. Um, and so what would happen with these rabbis, very similar thing. Certain rabbis would sort of have their niche, the things that they were teaching and focusing on and their perspectives. And then what would develop out of that is that they would develop sort of a model prayer for their disciples. And it became, here's, here's sort of my whole world scriptural view shrunk into a prayer. This is what's really, really important, how I think we should approach God. This is my take on it. And so we see in Luke 11, if you want to go there, you can, but I'll have it up here as well. Luke 11, we, this is the idea behind this, where the disciples are watching Jesus pray and do a good study. You see he prays often through his ministry and his time here on earth. And so they, they go to Christ, and some of the disciples ask him, hey, teach us, teach us how to pray. And it's not that they had no clue how to pray. It's not like they've never prayed before. What they were saying was, what, what's our particular flavor? What is it that's most important that we need to be thinking about when we approach God in prayer? That's what they were asking them. Summarize it for us. And so it's a very, very significant prayer, what we come to define or call the Lord's Prayer. And as you know, as is appropriate for Father's Day, we're just going to focus on those first two words of the prayer, which are our Father. You got it. And so that also becomes extremely significant that Jesus would choose that title because there's a whole bunch of titles or names that he could have, he could have used. Uh, any one of those, in fact, we could, probably could have quadrupled those on scripture, of titles and names for God, any one of them, Jesus should have said, when you approach God, this is how you should address him. This is the way you should be thinking in the back of your mind who God is when you approach him in prayer. And what he came up with, though, was, was our Father. You want to think of him uh, above all else, and it's not wrong to go to him in any other way by far, but Jesus is saying, if I were to really summarize and encapsulate how you should approach God, it would be as Father. Now, there's a couple things we can, we can sort of break that down to. But let's just do two here. He could have gone with our king. Or any kind of idea there, sovereign, Lord, any of those things. If, if that were the focus, when we, when we pray and we speak to God, and Jesus had said, you should approach him as king. What would have been sort of the idea or main focus there, do you think? Give me, give me some ideas. What is it that Jesus would be drawing out? What is it, how are we approaching God if we approached him as our king, as opposed to our father? As a servant, good. We're, we are a servant. How about our king? If, we, if he chose our king instead, what would that have focused on? All right, ruler. Subservance on our part. Sorry, I hear too many. Say it again. Good, superiority. I heard one over here. Most high. 
Good. Any of those things incorporate with king. Somebody who is an authority. Someone that we would be submissive to. That we would come to on our knees. Somebody that we owe allegiance to. Your ruler. You're in control. You're king. Now, he doesn't go with our king. He could have gone, and this is sort of a, a step towards what you were saying. Um, he could have gone with creator. Creator's nice because it, it incorporates all of those ideas of authority. We're going before him as servant and subservient and submissive. Creator, though, takes it one step closer in relationship. The creator is a little bit more intimate than king. Does this make sense? King, I'm king. You're, you're my subjects. That's it. I don't even need to know you. You should bow down to me as king. Nothing wrong with that. That's one of the titles of God and one of the ways we can think of it. Creator is a little bit closer in relationship. Creator, if he had chosen that, our creator, uh, would have had the same idea of authority, allegiance. But now the creator has something invested in his creation. There's a little bit more of a relationship there. But he doesn't do creator. He, to our great joy, goes with father. In fact, if you know the word, father's not the best translation. It's actually the word Abba. And if we were to translate that a little bit more accurately, from what I hear, uh, I don't know what's happening with the PowerPoint there. Um, It would be more like dad or papa or daddy, that very, very intimate kind of relationship. And so it encapsulates authority and our position being submissive and obedience to him that we owe him allegiance and reverence, that he is invested in us, but it's, it's, it's this kind of very, very closeness, right? That's an awesome thing, that that's what he chose. When you approach God in prayer, go beyond king, go beyond creator to Abba, Father, Dad. Isn't that great? I think it's a fantastic thing. Now, why... Why father? What else does that mean for us? You know, we could, we could break this down as well, but I think to summarize it all, what I would say with father that sets it apart from king and creator is that God, when we go to God and we say our father, we have, we have a God who is on our side. He's, he's for you. Isn't that a great thing? Isn't it great to go before him and you're needing help, and the God that you want to cry out to help for is saying, yeah, I'm for you. I, I'm on your side. There's nothing I'd rather do than give you the help that you need. When we screw up once again in whatever way, and we're just broken, and we're messy, and we've fallen, and we can go before God, and instead of our judge, instead of fearing condemnation, we know God is Father. He's on my side. Praise God. You can go to him with frustration and anger or doubt or confusion, whatever it is that you take before him, and you approach him as Father, God who's, who's on my side. He's for me. And no matter what I bring to him, he's for me. That's great, great truth. It changes the whole way, the whole way that we pray. Why, why is God on our side? <clears throat> it's not because... I have anything to offer him, right? He, we don't approach him as our kickball captain. That idea that he's, he's somehow on our side because we get to give him anything just isn't there. 
uh, that I've earned it. I haven't earned it. That I have anything impressive, you know? Hey, God's on my side because I'm so impressive. Couldn't be farther from the truth. God's on our side because we're his children. It's just, I mean, it's that simple. I think of um, the concerts, you know, at elementary school. I can say this because it were my kids. You know, these elementary school concerts and, and the toughest part were those like beginner instruments. You remember those days? And you're like, I don't know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star could take that long. <laughs> and it's just the trumpets and you got the, the squeaking clarinets and it's, it's deadly. And, and, and you've got the kids, you know, great song, great presentation. And you've got the kids who are like falling off the stage and the kid who's picking his nose. And we always, I love, you always had that one kid who was just oblivious that there was even a concert going on. <laughs> and I always wanted to get, get into that kid's mind and just like, what are you thinking? Is he going, what's that lady doing? <laughs> and, and here's the thing. We would always sit in the front row and I would, and I would look at this and, and if I glanced behind me, I think I was in two completely different places. Because you know what I see behind me? Video cameras. And, you know, they're all like this. <laughs> right? And, and the song gets done, and they're just... <laughs> and, and they're thrilled. You think they're at the best concert of their lives. And, and why? You know the answer. Why are they like that? It's their child. That's it. There, there's my kid who didn't sing one line, but I know his heart was in the right place, and so I'm glad I was here to see it, because I love that kid. That's my child. There's, there's nothing, <clears throat> oh, I love, there was, I think it was one of the um, playoff games of, the, of Philadelphia, I think it was 2009, something like that. And you know, one of the things in being at a ball game that's special is if you get to catch the ball. And it's just you, you end up going home with a sort of a unique souvenir. Um, and so it's a playoff game. All the better. You get to catch a, catch a playoff ball. And so this game between the Philadelphia Phillies and I forget who else. And this foul ball gets hit high up into the stands. Build suspense for you. <laughs> and this guy catches it. And you see it on camera and you see the same thing. You see it every time. He's got the ball up in the air, and he's all smiles, and everyone around him, it's like this little sectional party for the next three minutes. And they're all, wow, and they're patting him on the back. And so same thing, he's holding that ball up, and he's got his three-year-old daughter with him, and just with, with great joy, hands her the ball, and she takes it, and she... <laughs> she threw it right, right over the edge. It was gone. And, and all you see, great dad. All you see, he, his, his smile doesn't fade. He bends down, and he gives her a big hug. That was it. To say, you know what? Not a big deal. You, you my daughter, are so way more precious than that ball could ever be. And that's, that's how exactly the view we need to have when we come before God. I'm not condemning you. I'm not casting you out. Come, tell me what's on your mind. I would love to hear about your day. You're going to be messed up. I know you're messed up. I know you failed. I know you screwed up, I know you're scared, whatever it is, come and bring it to me, because I am eager 
to hear what you have to say. Which, by the way, if I can say, sets Christianity apart and our Jehovah God from any other God of the other religions. We don't, we don't need to convince him to hear us. We don't need to persuade him to help us. We don't manipulate God in any way to come to our aid. 24-7, he's, he's there, ready and eager to hear what we have to say. Praise God. That's Father. That's Father. That's what Jesus, I think, has in mind when he says, when you pray, start with our Father. I think of um, visiting this Hindu temple in New York City, and we were there early enough that they were doing this ritual to wake, to wake their God up. Crazy. And then when you stop and you think, you know, there's a Hindu temple in New York City, there's probably one in California, a couple Hindu temples in India, some in China, probably one in England, and you think, man, they're all waking up their God at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock of their time. God's not getting a lot of sleep. And it's no, it's no wonder the Hindu dot gods tend to look so angry. Guy needs some sleep. Um, it's not, not, that way, not that way with Jehovah. 24-7, I'm here to hear what you have to say. I'm your father. Think of me as your father. You're probably going to blunder. You're going to say things maybe then are stupid. You know, you, I gave you that ball. And you were so oblivious, you threw it over the edge. That's all right. Come, come anyway. Now he goes on in that in that passage with with um, with this parable. Right after he gives them what we know as the Lord's prayer, then Jesus said to them, "Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread.'" A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love that phrase, but because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, some people have, have sort of misinterpreted this parable in thinking, oh, I get it. So that's how I need to approach God, with like shameless audacity. That's, that's actually the exact opposite of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you, you know how this works. If you really went to a friend and you needed some bread and it was late at night and the guy doesn't want to get out of bed, he doesn't want to have to like tend to your needs, and yet guess what? He will. Even, even that guy who doesn't want to do it will do it. He's really saying, you know how much more your God in heaven, your Father in heaven is going to give to you? That's what he's saying. If, if the guy next door who doesn't want to is willing to give you something, think how much the Lord is going to give you because he wants to. He wants to. And that's why he goes on in the passage and says, hey, so you want to know what the answer to this is? I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he goes on to sort of summarize it like this. If, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
It's just that simple. God, God as a father is eager to give you what you need, exactly what you need. Oftentimes in the pages of the Bible when it's talking about God as our father, it uses the word somewhere in there with compassion. It likes to picture God as being a father of compassion. Someone who, again, is not quick to condemn, not quick to cast you out, but eager to give you what you need, give you empathy. He understands. He understands what you're going through. He knows. Uh, and, it, and it really is, we are, as much as we think we've got it all together, it probably is more like that three-year-old going to a father, to a parent, than it is a 25, 40, 50 year old going to a parent. We're, we're probably so oblivious and so far from where he says, you know, this is really where you should be. I'm more like a three year old. And he, he gathers us in his arms and he says, that's okay. That's all right. I know what you need. You're asking for this, but this is what you need. And that's what I'm going to get you. Same thing, his parable with the prodigal son. You see, again, the compassion. Young son who, is, who has been deceptive and cruel and foolish, but in, when he returns, there's the father quick to run to him, pull him back in, celebrate his return. I like some of these other stories that I found. They just give me such a great picture. This one I'm just going to read to you directly as I found it because I will not do it justice. person wrote, the runners for the Special Olympic 400-meter dash were being helped to their marks. As I watched, a gentleman in a three-piece suit jumped up in the stands in front of me and began yelling, Lenny! Lenny! An overweight, middle-aged man with Down syndrome looked up in the direction of the voice. The gun sounded and the runners leaped forward, all except Lenny who was dead last and losing ground. He had a preoccupation with his hands, which he wrung furiously as he tried to make his way around the track. Pointing to him, the gentleman in front of me turned and addressed my section of the crowd. That's my son, Lenny. Isn't he doing great? When Lenny reached the last turn on the track, the other runners had already finished. The gentleman began to shout encouragement to his son, throwing his fists in the air in a triumphant gesture. Great job, Lenny. Way to go, son. Keep going, you're doing great. He turned to my section again and reminded us all that his son was about to finish. We applauded dutifully, feeling somewhat embarrassed. When Lenny crossed the finish line, the man made his way down to the track and hugged his son, who was exhausted, drooling, and still wringing his hands. While I watched them embrace, I began to weep. As I thought about what I saw, it seemed as though God was saying to me, you're like Lenny in this race I have called you into. You're challenged, perplexed, far behind the pack. Most days, you're a pitiful pile of exhaustion. But I'm here, cheering you on. I love you the way that man loves his son. So here's, here's where we're at with all of this. It's true that God's king. He's ruler. He's an authority. We owe our allegiance to him. There's no doubt. It's true he owns us. He owns me. He owns my body. He owns my thoughts. 
He owns everything that I have. But when I go before him in prayer, I can approach him as father. Someone who is, who is on my side, 100% for me, eager to hear what I have to say. I don't need to be ashamed. I don't need to be embarrassed. I don't need to be fearful in any way because he's dad. He's my dad. He's my heavenly papa who is there eager and willing to hear what I have to say. He wants to know my needs. He wants to know how he can help. He wants to know where I'm struggling. Tell it to me because I'm dad. And let's, let's work through this together. Um, some of you perhaps here this morning, that's good news. I mean, that's good news for all of us. But that's not how you've thought of God, maybe not recently. There's been more fear. Maybe it's, I would like to approach God, but I know I haven't been the best of child. He's still dad to you. He still wants to hear what you have to say. He's eager to spend time with you. Others, perhaps you don't know God as father at all. Don't know where you stand spiritually. You don't know where you stand in terms of eternity. And I love this verse from Romans 8. Look at this at the bottom, verse 31. If, if God is for us, and that's the case, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's, that's the father saying, don't you get it? If, if I'm willing to have given up my own son on your behalf, there's nothing you could possibly bring before me. I already knew your sin. I already knew it. And still I gave, I gave up my son for you. There's nothing you could bring before me that I would condemn you, that I would cast you out, that I would say, I don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm for you. There is no one, if I'm for you, there is nothing against you. Nothing stands in the way between you and me because I'm father. What I would love, because we've got time, Evan, any chance that we could sing Forever Rain again? Cameron, anyway, we could get Forever Rain up again? Why don't we pray together and then uh, you guys can come up too and then we'll, we'll sing the song again because I love the whole idea is exactly what I'm talking about. Our Father, it's, it's good, it is exciting to know. We are so thankful that you do not sleep, you do not turn us away, you don't condemn us, that in you there is, there is forgiveness, in you there is acceptance, in you we have one who understands our troubles, you understand our fears, in you is is God who loves us and cares for us. You're not, you're not separated. You're not doing your own thing. We're not a bother to you. You call us child. We're precious. We mess up, Lord. We screw up. We're failures. We miss the points constantly. But you're ready and willing to draw us back in, to embrace us, and to continue to call us your child. Praise you, Lord God. We really praise you.
you can, you can, I'll give you some time. You can continue to pray, to talk to the Lord, whatever might be on your heart. At the same time, I want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone here this morning, you don't know God as Father. You're not really sure what you know or believe about God. Um, I want to tell you something. There, there is something that separates you from God, and it's just sin. We all have it. The Bible says that everyone has sinned. We all tend to be proud. We're selfish. We lie. We do life entirely on our own. And can I tell you, that's not God's way or purpose at all. He'd like to do life with you. But our sin separates us from him. And we're born into this world spiritually dead because of sin, totally separated from him. There's a, there a debt, there's a cost for that sin, and it's spiritual death. And that's what that verse in Romans 8 was saying, that he gave up his son for us. God loves you so much that he took care of that debt that you couldn't possibly pay. It'd be as if I owed someone $6 billion, and trust me, I'm nowhere near being able to pay that off. Me owing someone $6 billion and someone coming along with a check made out for $6 billion and saying, here it is. If you want it, I'll pay for it. That's what God did in sending his son here to earth. He went to the cross and he died in my place, in your place, to pay that sin debt. And then that debt is canceled, the Bible says. It says that the moment we place our faith and we accept that gift, that's what it is. It's a gift. Just as if I took that guy's check, it's a gift. There's nothing I could do to pay off that sin debt. Nothing I could do to pay off that sin debt. It's not going to happen. In fact, it's not the way God wants it to happen. He wants you to accept this gift of salvation, this gift of forgiveness that is found in Christ's death on the cross. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Jesus proved that he had the power to do that. He was sinless. He was God here on earth. And he rose again three days later to say, I've got the power to forgive. I'm going to reconnect you to God for all of eternity. And you will know God as father. And he will know you as son or as daughter. That is the truth and the good news of the whole Bible. The whole Bible is about that. And so I want to give you an opportunity, if that's perhaps the first time you've heard that or you've been thinking about it for a long time, but I really do want to give you an opportunity this morning to talk to the Lord, to God, just in your own heart, he hears what you're saying. There's really no magic words, but you might want to say to him, God, I accept this gift of salvation that's in Jesus Christ. I know that I've been separated from you. I know I'm spiritually dead. I can tell just by the meaninglessness or purposelessness of life. I'm seeking it elsewhere, but I know and I'm trusting that it's to be found in you. And so I accept you as Savior and as Father this morning. And if that's the first time you've done that, you have passed from death to life, you have become a child of God, you begin a totally new life from here on out. God says, I'm your Father. Start coming to me. That's where life is found. That's where your strength is going to be found. Your meaning is to be found is in me. If you would, I would love to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up or anything like that, but if you'd be willing to just let me know. If you did that this morning for the first time, uh, could you just stick a hand up and let me know that that was something you did this morning? All right. Lord, I, I do pray and I commit us to you and into your hands as one who is worthy, who is loving, who is love itself. Lord, I pray that you would lead us constantly to the cross, 
and into your presence. With great joy and thanksgiving this morning, Father. Amen.